0: Chapter sixteen of Murder Takes the Veil by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter sixteen. Trillium, by late afternoon, knew as well as she could know what her plan must be. Once she had suggested to Glory that she dress and go down to the library to study but glory's horrified refusal had been so prompt that trillium dared not ask again out in the halls the hunters worked furiously against time searching for the object bearing the crown growing more fervid with every strike of the old clock the bells rang the chanting of the sisters drifted over from the chapel at appointed hours everything went on as usual but underneath the homely wholesome activity something else lay dormant the relentless thing that would not be satisfied until murder had been done again. When Sister Laurent came in to relieve Glory for an hour in the late afternoon, Trillium sat up, stretching, and asked, Sister, can't I get up and dress? I'm so tired of lying here. Sister Laurent, being young herself, knew how weary a bed could become to young muscles, and she had not been over-cautioned by the sheriff. So she agreed and Trillium took her robe and went for a shower. The sister, busily straightening up the room, failed to notice that Trillium had slipped a stub of pencil and a piece of paper into the pocket of her robe. Glory, coming back, found Trillium neatly dressed in her brown wool, the gold belt buckled smartly, her hair freshly combed, and her mouth bright with lipstick. Mary Elizabeth, in a pink bed-jacket, with a pink bow in her hair, languished upon her pillows, and announced that she was hungry enough to eat a horse, without cutting it up. "'Your patients are nearly well,' Sister Laurent informed Glory. "'You don't look very happy about it. Are you sorry to lose them?' "'No, ma'am,' Glory murmured. A short half-hour ago, when she had left, Trillium had been lying with her face to the wall, wide awake but pretending to be asleep. The change to the poised, quietly smiling young lady in the brown wool was too sudden not to be alarming. "'I'm going to pin the crown to our class banner tonight, Glory,' she said. "'Oh, but Miss Trillium—' Sister Laurent departed briskly, and Mary Elizabeth said with complacence, "'The hunters won't find the fleece. Don't you worry, Glory. That nice Mr. Thatcher didn't give us away. Trill is going to have her moment.' "'But you aren't well enough, Miss Trillium. I mean—' The sheriff isn't going to think you're well enough mary elizabeth laughed then wailed as she hugged her sore rib but trillian gave a little secret smile and opened her chemistry book thus far she had run into no obstacles in the shower she had written the note for mother theodore and this time there would be no chance for it to fall into the wrong hands because she would take it to the office herself in the last moment before she left the building and put it into the drawer of mother's desk Her coin purse and her flashlight were in the pocket of the red coat. A bandana folded in with them. She could walk the mile into Marysville without anyone being the wiser. And, if the tiny clipping safe in her coin purse meant what it said, she would have a place to go when she reached Marysville. Planning ahead, that was what counted. Yesterday the clipping had been only a sort of hope. Now it was a possibility. Tonight it would be a reality. Feeling pathetically proud of her management, she sat pretending to study, but thinking it all through again. "'Glory, will you get me a fresh drink of water, please?' Mary Elizabeth asked after a time. Glory put down her crocheting and went obediently. When she was out of hearing, Mary Elizabeth asked, "'Trill, are you going to the assembly?' "'Of course. But I don't think Glory will let you.' Trillium laid down her book. Liz, tonight means more to me than I can tell you. I... I have to go. You'll help me, won't you? Well, sure. But, sure, if it's that important. Mary Elizabeth was deeply impressed, and Trillian went back to her studying with a guilty conscience. Glory came back and sat down in the little rocker, where she had spent so many hours. But now, busy as her hands were the crocheting ceased to occupy her mind. She didn't like it, Miss Trillium up and dressed, for even though the girl seemed to be concerned with nothing outside of her schoolbooks, her air was that of a bird perched on a delicate twig, while the cat crouched on the last limb that would hold his weight. If the bird had any sense, he'd fly away. Glory followed the thought. The crochet hook jabbed her finger as Glory's hand stiffened. It was true. Miss Trillium's face, in the light of the study lamp, was quiet and determined, as if she had made a decision and was calm because of it. What if she had decided to run away? Remembering all the sheriff's warnings and her own promises, Glory was thrown into confusion. She had been ready to refuse permission for the girl to leave, but how to deal with this resoluteness she did not know. If only High were here to tell her what to do. If the sheriff would happen along, she could telephone to either of them but she would have to be gone some time to do it, and Miss Trillian would have her chance to run away. But there was Mother Theodore, Glory remembered hopefully. If she could get word to Mother, the Mother would warn the sheriff, and the responsibility would be his. Going back to her pineapple design, Glory felt eased. She would be the most ready to admit that she was not a diplomat. Still, having thought out this neat course for herself, she was equal to the game. She even knew now how she would proceed. Glory was pleased when she saw Rindy's dark face looming over the tea cart. Rindy was trustable, and it was in the line of duty for her to carry messages. Having seen that the girls were settled with their supper trays, Glory followed Rindy into the hall. Rindy, please, will you tell Mother Theodore I'd like to see her, real soon? Yes, am I'm afraid she'll have to come up here. I can't leave. Yes, am only she don't like it. "'Comin' up all them stairs less than you all got a pretty nifty because. "'If Glory had been less upset, she might have wondered why Rindy should take it upon herself "'to judge the propriety of her request. "'But such was her state of mind that uncertainty came to her more readily than composure. "'Can't you just say that Miss Muckleroy's got to see her?' "'Yes, am said Rindy, unconvinced. "'Tell her's about Miss Trillium. That's all I know myself.' Maybe it's just the convocation she's bound for, but there's something. Will you find Mother and tell her? I'll take your message, ma'am. Sure enough. Rindy pushed the tea cart against the wall to await the empty trays. Through the short conversation she had not met Glory's eyes, and as she glided noiselessly to the stairs and down, there was something so cunning about her that she might have been a spy slipping away with deadly information. Supper's getting cold, Glory, mary elizabeth called glory went in and sat down with her tray mary elizabeth unaware that she was bridging an awkward moment chattered on trillium ate her supper deliberately answering sometimes to all appearances merely a convent girl enduring a quiet hour but she had not lain down or mussed herself up in any way at the drop of a hat she could be out and gone randy going down the back stairs to the kitchen was more than pleased with the little incident. Clever, that's what she was. She hadn't promised to speak to Mother, she had promised to pass the word along, and that she would do. She laughed silently. And there, below her, as if she were sent at the proper time, was Sister Ateen on her way to the sister's dining room. Rindy wiped her eyes and choked off her laughter. Old Ateen's timely appearance was a sign, and Rindy believed in signs. Without a second's hesitation, she hurried down to intercept the old sister. Trillium guessed what had taken place between Rindy and Glory in the hall, but as the half-hour became an hour, and Mother did not come, she began to wonder. The convent, in this last desperate effort of the hunt, was in an uproar. Thirty minutes more and the bell would ring out the senior's victory. The underclassmen, dirty and broken-hearted, would make a rush for the auditorium, where the crown would be pinned to the senior's banner for another year. Through the day the fever had run high, and yet with the falling of dusk and the inevitable dwindling of hours into minutes, delirium was reached. Sanity flew out the windows. If Mother Theodore did not receive Glory's message, or even forgot about it, that was hardly to be wondered at. Girls ran everywhere, burrowed into corners that already had been ransacked, Even stood on the stairs and sobbed into their shirt sleeves. They've done it again, the cry began, and soon the old halls were a wailing wall for the less valiant who would not take the defeat. In the auditorium, the school band began to play, off key with excitement, but with full spirit. Up in the tower, the clock struck, and the convent bell clanged the end of the hunt. They didn't find it, Hilaria shouted at the door. "'Red-faced, her hair on end. "'Hear that, kids? We're the victors! Hooray for our side!' "'Oh, go away!' Mary Elizabeth snapped. "'Don't tell us about your fun. "'Glory, you'll have to rub my back. Get the alcohol.' Trillium smiled at Hilaria, excusing the invalid. "'It was not natural, this peevishness,' Glory thought, "'when the halls were alive with exultant seniors "'sounding like bees at swarming time.' Mary Elizabeth should at least share as she could in the general gratification. If only Mother Theodore would come! But there was little hope now until after the convocation. Glory closed the door and went to the closet for the alcohol bottle. But Mary Elizabeth was in a tantrum. For Pete's sake, Glory, your hands are like ice. Go and run some hot water on them. Glory was confounded. Her patient never had acted so badly before, turning her face to the wall, grumbling into her pillow. Don't mind her, Glory, Trillium said softly. Maybe she has a reason. Glory cuddled the alcohol bottle. Her hands were always stiff with cold when she was nervous. The washroom was only down the hall, and if she were to leave the door open, she could see Miss Trillium if she passed. I'll only be a minute, she promised and scurried away. Mary Elizabeth bounced upright. "'Well, didn't I fix it for you, Trill? Scoop before she gets back.' Trillian blew her a kiss and snatched her red coat from the closet. "'Honestly, honey, I'll never forget this as long as I live,' she declared, and wondered how long that would be. "'Your good coat, Trill?' Mary Elizabeth asked. "'You'll get it filthy up in that old loft. Take your sweater.' "'This night will never come again, Liz Baby. Bye and thanks.' She looked around the room, as if she were saying goodbye to it forever, Mary Elizabeth would report later, and then she was gone. A few minutes after, Glory returned to stand in the door, her face sickly white when she saw the empty chair by the desk, a thin figure in a faded dress and skimpy sweater, which hung in peaks in front, seized with a fear that transferred itself to Mary Elizabeth. She's only gone to the convocation, Glory, the girl protested she has to bring the fleece from the hiding-place to the auditorium stage it's the crowning moment of the hunt but glory seemed to be in a sort of stupor no she said no i've got to find mother right away quick she stood mumbling twisting her hands unable to distinguish between the different urgencies that shook her find mother find miss trillium get word to the sheriff glory mary elizabeth wailed but it was not enough to stop Glory. The girl was alone in the room, listening to footsteps hurrying away through the hall. And now Mary Elizabeth was frightened. Trillium had taken her good coat. Why? Why did Glory go chasing after her as if it meant life or death? Mary Elizabeth did not get up to follow. She curled herself into a ball, hugging her sore rib, and lay watching the open door. Sister teen plodding along the cloister walk from a last visit to Tom and Banty was bothered about something not about what was to happen this evening, for that was all quite clear. A convent bell was ringing, and she was on her way to the auditorium for the golden Fleece convocation. But back behind her knowledge of the present, there lurked something else, something she ought to be doing or that she should have done roast beef supper rindy rindy had given her a message to her mother before supper. "'My old head is no good any more,' she sighed. She couldn't even recall what Rindy had said. "'Only desirous. "'It was a curious word. "'If someone was desirous, and the message was for Mother, "'then it must be that one of the girls "'wished to see Mother in her office. "'That was right. "'She remembered now.' Sister team plodded up the steps and in at the east entrance. "'Everyone passed her.' but she didn't mind. She was used to that. She had to stop and rest on the first landing, and by the time she reached the main corridor, all the girls were gone. All in the auditorium. Mother, of course, would be there too. Mother, always kind, would forgive the late delivery of the message. Shuffling along with her hand on the wall to guide her, Sister Teen realized abruptly that she was in the wrong corridor. She had turned instead of continuing on straight ahead, before her was the side stairs, seldom used, which led up to the second-floor dormitories. The second floor. That was where Trillium Pierce and Helen—no, Mary Elizabeth Melville lived, and Auntie Pearl had told her that Glory was taking care of them. That was the message. Trillium wanted to speak with Mother in her office. Sister Teen laughed softly. It was so wonderful to remember something. She turned to go back the way she had come— But now there was someone in the hall with her, someone who had come out of one of the little-used rooms on this corridor. The old sister had not noticed, in her own perpetual twilight, that the hall where she stood was unlighted. But now she saw the figure ahead of her silhouetted against the strong reflection from the main hall. Mother Theodore, of all people! Mother, whom she wished to see before she would again forget the message. "'Mother, if you please—' The figure halted as if startled. "'Excuse me, Mother. It's Sister Ateen. I have a message for you. Trillian Pierce would like to see you in your office. She's not very well, you know.' Sister Ateen paused. When Mother made no answer, she took it as a reproach. "'I'm very sorry, Mother. I should have remembered it sooner. If you'll excuse me, I'll not try to carry messages any more. My memory is too poor.' Sister Atine was trembling by this time. Mother must be gravely displeased when she remained so silent and stiff against the light. The sister, her eyes humbly on the floor, moved along past the tall figure. Mother's scapular seemed to be divided in a queer way, almost like trouser legs, and her feet appeared to be very large. Sister was not in a position to comment. Mother never had been so severe with her before, and without saying a word, too. Sister etienne was so troubled that she very nearly turned into the cloister instead of going on to the auditorium. But the evening would be lonely there, and this upset with mother brought back everything. The lost habit, which never had been found, sprang up before her with dreadful clarity. The doings of the girls would take her mind off it. When she came into the auditorium, she sat down in a back seat beside another sister. "'I was afraid you weren't coming, sister,' Said Mother Theodore. Sister Teen gasped, then peered at the face beside her. It was Mother, there was no doubt of that. But how had she come here so quickly? And if they had met in the hall, why had Mother not seen that she was on her way to the auditorium? It was Sister Osmond, the old sister exclaimed. What was that, sister? Mother asked. Sister Teen smiled and nodded. She had encountered Sister Osmond in the hall, she was certain of that now. She recalled how big Sister Osmond was, and Sister hadn't spoken because she was miffed when she had not been recognized. So delighted was the old Sister with this explanation that she forgot entirely about the message, and turned to her enjoyment of the girl's performance. Behind them, Glory Muckleroy slipped into the auditorium. All the sisters were there, all counterparts of one another from the back, how on earth would she ever tell which was mother? She couldn't walk right out into the aisle and look into their faces. Wait a minute, and mother might turn around, but she didn't dare wait long, not long. Trillium laughed to herself as she ran down the stairs through the main hall and into the small corridor from which opened the dressing-rooms and the stage entrance. It had been so easy to get away. The hurry and bustle reminded her of the night of mustard seed, when Helen had called, as someone else was calling now. Trillium, has anybody seen Trillium? Hilaria tumbled down the stage steps. Oh, Trill, I didn't dare ask if you'd be here. After the way Liz snapped at me, are you all right? Fine, and don't be mad at Liz. She was doing it to help me get away. Listen, Hilaria, I want you to come with me for the fleece. Hilaria made a delighted pretense of fainting and Mercy Harding whispered down the steps, "'Is that you, Trill? Okay, go get the fleece. Everybody's rounded up.'" Silent, hand in hand, Hilaria and Trillium once again traversed the old halls. Quiet now, as if all noise had died in them, it would never be resurrected. It was surprising to Trillium to feel so calm, almost detached from this girl in the brown wool dress, who walked along with Hilaria. At the turn into the old passage out of which Sister Ateen had wandered so short a time before, they stopped, and Trillium swung on her coat. "'You go on, Hilaria. I'll stay here.' "'Not on your life. I'm not going up there alone.' "'Honey, don't be foolish. There could be spies still around, and if I'm on guard I can lead them astray.' "'There won't be any spies. The hunt's over.' "'Haven't you heard, Hilaria?' We're leaving the hiding place to the juniors in our class will, a secret codicile, so we're still keeping guard. I haven't heard about any secret codicile, and I'm the class president, Hilaria retorted promptly. What is this, dirty politics going on behind my back? Please, don't make things difficult, honey child, Trillium begged. If our only chance was to go wrong now, when the open door was not fifty feet away around the turn of the hall... "'The juniors will probably think of their own hiding place anyway next year,' said Hilaria. "'Come on, let's get it over with before the ghosts walk.' "'Hill, if I would thought you'd be such a goose, I wouldn't have chosen you, honestly. "'I'll go to the head of the stairs, but no farther, and from there I can keep an eye on the tower door, and on this hall, too. And when you come back, if I'm gone—' "'Gone? For Pete's sake!' If a spy comes by, I'll have to lead her off, won't I? Now go on. Well, I'm carrying a St. Christopher medal, so I may come back alive, Hilaria sighed, and then, thinking to get the frightening errand over quickly, she ran up the stairs. Trillian waited only until her partner was out of sight. Her hand in her pocket told her that the coin purse was there, safe, the note from mother with it. She tiptoed down the steps to keep her high heels from clicking, and back along the corridor. Mother's office was dark, no trace of light showed through the frosted glass of the door, and yet Trillium, her hand on the knob, halted, listening, her heart leaping in sudden warning. Run, run, her intuition cautioned. Don't open the door, escape while you can. Still, Why should she stand there shuddering, when all she must do now was to dart into Mother's office and leave the note on the desk? The note was not of extreme importance, asking only that Mother Theodore would not try to find her, but it was the first test of her courage to enter the dark room. She gave the knob a quick turn. The door opened as it should, noiselessly, swinging wide. Well, what did you expect, she thought, and stepped inside. In a single second she knew she was not alone. Against the grey window a tall blur loomed, the exact silhouette of a nun. Before she could scream, the blur swelled until it blocked out the window, and powerful, purposeful hands caught her by the shoulders. Her choked exclamation was nothing more than a gurgle. And yet, in the blackness of the inner office, someone moved, striking a foot against the metal wastebasket. Then a heavy body struck her assailant. He staggered, lost his grip, and Trillium pulled free. The door was still open behind her, and someone jostled her, escaping. She leaped backward, flew down the hall and out into the night. Who, she wondered in panic, who other than her attacker had been there in that black little room? The enormous, quiet figure did not linger. A moment after Trillium's departure, it glided along the way she had taken— but when it came to the east door it continued on down the ancient passages below the convent no one would follow into the tunnels when hilaria passed the office scanning the halls for trillium the door was closed and behind the frosted glass the darkness was unbroken in the auditorium the band was putting all its lung capacity into the victory march the entrance of hilaria and the fleece upon the stage touched off a celebration which could be compared only to a political convention When the favorite son had been nominated the efforts of the band were noticeable only in distended cheeks juniors cheered for seniors seniors cheered for themselves and everyone else simply cheered in a colossal bedlam in the small corridor behind the stage mother theodore entered hastily almost stepping upon a senior in blue jeans who was solemnly turning somersaults diana yes mother the girl came up with a flushed face Ask Hilaria to step out here a moment, please. Mother was provoked, but frightened far more than she was provoked. Glory has shilly-shallyed so long that Trillium could be anywhere by now. Mother had overlooked the importance of being chairman of the fleece committee. She had taken for granted Trillium's acquiescence in remaining away from the convocation. I should have spoken directly to her. Hilaria, where is Trillium? Hilaria scrambled down the stage steps, and her face was blanched. "'She's gone, Mother.' Mother Theodore swayed against the wall. "'But she was with you.' "'Oh, yes. She said she'd wait for me at the landing where she could watch for spies, but she didn't. When I came back, she was gone. She'd have had time to lead a spy all over the campus and be back here by now. "'Mother, what will we do?' Mother Theodore had read in books that brains sometimes went numb in terrifying circumstances, and always she had turned the page with superior pity, never giving a thought to the possibility that her own well-disciplined member could be capable of such inefficiency. But leaning there against the wall, with her own dread reflected in the young face before her, knowing that each separate event of the past days was not separate at all, but only another fact of the terrible whole, her thinking powers were numbed. What will we do? Hilaria had asked her, as if there might be something they actually could do to turn the tide away from St. Aurelian's. Although it seemed to Mother Theodore that she stood there inarticulate through a whirligig of time, it was only seconds before self-discipline, the watchword of the convent provided an instinctive pattern. Go back and act in her place, Hilaria, and say nothing at all about Trillium. If the girls ask, say that I am having a talk with her and no doubt by that time I will be. Do the best you can, dear. Yes, mother, Hilaria said obediently. Mother left her, but if she had looked back, she would have seen Hilaria's eyes dilated with fright and her hands pressed hard over her mouth. Because Hilaria knew now that all of Trillium's chatter about the secret codicil had been a deliberate ruse to give herself a reason for staying behind, and the minute Hilaria was gone, Trillium had run away. Just up and went, that was how Glory had put it to Mother Theodore, like the churn man. Theophilus Burns had up and gone, too. That was the first thought Mother had, an irrelevant one, she was certain. Yet it indicated that the numbness was lifting. Hurrying to her office, she had time to feel a definite impatience with Glory, even a slight apprehension when she cast ahead to what Jervis would say. She opened the door of the outer office quickly, snapped on the light, entered the inner room, and snapped on another light. There was no sign of any disturbance, except that a corner of the rug in the outer office was flipped back, as if someone had tripped on it. But Mother had not looked that way. Mr. Thatcher was at home when her call came. Hearing his clipped response, Mother realized that with his entry this time, a new era would open for St. Aurelian's. There could be no pretense that this was an accident that Trillium had gone for a walk or strolled into town to the movies. Soon the campus looked like a northern meadow alight with fireflies, as the sheriff's men searched, sending the beams of their flashlights into every corner of the buildings and grounds. The girls knew, this time, what the hunt meant. Trillium had disappeared, perhaps as Helen had gone, and there was no attempt to mask the efforts to find her. With auto lights burning a hole in the darkness around the bayou, the hyacinths were torn away, and the brown water dragged. And when they found nothing, Jarvis Thatcher did not know whether to be relieved or doubly apprehensive. It was possible that something even worse than drowning had happened to Trillium. The sheriff's knock upon the door of the guest house was peremptory. When Franz Eric answered it, Jarvis pushed past him into the living room and stood scrutinizing the homely scene as if he believed no part of what he saw. In pajamas and dressing gown, Tor sat dozing in a big armchair, his bare feet stretched out on a hassock toward the dying fire. On the Davenport, with a multitude of papers laid out carefully on either side of him, Crispin Archer was arranged with a typewriter upon a card table before him. The Davenport was low, the table uncomfortably high for typing. Yet, if one were to judge by the half-sheets of paper covered with notes, he had been working in that position for hours. Archer and Tor turned the same startled countenances to the sheriff. Tor's feet hit the floor with a thump. Crispin half rose, bumped the card table, and fell back. "'So much for you, two, the sheriff thought swiftly. you show me your thunderstruck at my appearance here. "'As for Eric, he's a guileless schoolboy, caught off his guard, "'a little more than the others, but covering it up well. "'Wearing house slippers, too. "'Fancy Mexican affairs.' Strange how each was arrayed to scream out the information that he had been spending a peaceful evening at his own fireside. The sheriff stepped past Franz, who remained petrified in the doorway, but it was Franz who spoke first. Is she? He began and bit his lip. Is she what? the sheriff asked quietly. And who, Eric, who are you so anxious about? Oh, come on, Thatcher, Crispin cut in, Disaster's written all over you. What's up? My dear sir, sit down, Tor urged. Franz, give Mr. Thatcher a chair. Never mind. I understand from various sources that none of you attended the convocation tonight. During that time another girl disappeared. I must ask each of you to account for your movements from seven o'clock on. Who begins? Archer relaxed, at least in body struck another key or two on the typewriter, and pulled out the paper, glanced at what he had written, and laid the sheet in one of the piles. Franz remained stiffly where he was, his dark eyes fixed upon Tor. But if the artist received any message, he did it so neatly that the sheriff was unaware. Tor, feeling with his feet for his slippers, spoke as he would to a child, naturally taking the lead. I'll be first, sheriff, but do sit down. You can't take notes very well standing up. I'll trust my memory. At seven o'clock? Tor frowned, thinking deeply. At seven. Let me see. We had just finished dinner a little late because we sat there talking. I believe it was Franz who asked if either of us was going to the convocation. But you, Chris, you said it was pretty juvenile for us. The smile was blatantly that of the good uncle, fixing up everything that the sheriff lost what patience he had. You didn't go to the auditorium. What did you do, you yourself? Why, I went up to my studio. For an uninterrupted evening, of course? Well, as it happened, no. I stayed about twenty minutes, not more. It was cold up there, dreary, and I began thinking of the warm, sunny places I'd been until I worked up a dark blue mood. I don't indulge myself often, Sheriff, but I managed to dispel any interest I had in my painting, and I came back here. That will be before seven-thirty, then? I'm sure of it, although I didn't look at the time. And you have been in the house ever since? Yes, Sheriff. I prepared for bed, but the boys came in and I joined them out here. Exactly what an old codger like you ought to be doing on a cold night, a shade too characteristic, Jarvis reflected. Without a word, he let his inspection fall upon Archer, barricaded behind his table, a cigarette idly in his hand. Archer seemed rather amused, as if this were a stage interlude in which he pleasantly participated. "'I have a heck of an alibi, Sheriff. I did some work in the college library, about eight when I left. I didn't get lonesome like Tor. It simply happened that I finished what I had to do and came home.' "'And that's a heck of an alibi?' Jervis snapped. Archer pulled out his cigarette, grinning. "'I'm afraid so. You see, I was alone the whole time.' "'It's not funny, Chris,' Tor reproved. The sheriff was becoming wrathful, a state of mind to benefit none of them, and Franz was not helping the situation. He crossed to the fireplace, his back to the room, but Tor, broadside to the others, noticed that his black eyes smoldered, although it was undoubtedly only the reflection of the flames. "'And you, Eric?' The sheriff prompted. I looked in on the convocation—' Juvenile or not, the kids were having fun. Did you stay long? No. One of the sisters got her eye on me, and I knew she'd bring me in and set me down with ceremony in a conspicuous place, so I scun out. He wheeled, defiance and arrogance in his bearing. I went for a walk through the grounds, out by Pirate Cove, around through the barnyard, and over to the golf links. Alone. I came in about the time Chris did. What time? Eight, a quarter to, a quarter after, I don't know. Not much concern with time, are you, Eric? The young man shrugged. Tor, perhaps with an idea of apologizing for these two, pulled himself out of his chair, a dignified figure in spite of rumpled hair, and a split shoulder seam in his robe. Have we helped you at all, Sheriff? Is there anything else? No. Then let me say that I wish you Godspeed in finding Trillium. Both for her sake and ours. The sheriff's voice was as quiet as Tor's. I didn't mention who was missing, Tolvozin. How did you know? Instead of being thrown into confusion, the artist smiled. Did I ever show you the portrait I am painting of her, Sheriff? A log fell in the fireplace, and across the room, Jarvis's penetrating observation nailed Tor where he was, his profile to the firelight the only lamp behind him. Another man would have squirmed, but not Toboltson. Head back, smiling so that his plump cheeks nearly closed his eyes, he met the sheriff's stare as if it were a wind in the face. The sheriff's departure was as sudden as his entrance. A swift opening and closing of the door, and footsteps dropping away into the night. Chris whipped a piece of paper into his typewriter with a snarl of the roller. "'What in the dickens made you say that, Tor?' Because it answered his question. I mean, how could you name Trillium? Tor seemed not to have heard. As if his thoughts had wandered to something of more importance, he sat down, pulled up the legs of his pajamas, and removed his garters. It felt like I'd forgotten something, he remarked. Then, with the green garters dangling from his hand, he puttered into his bedroom and closed the door. Franz and Crispin studied the door for a long minute before Chris wriggled out from behind his table and approached the fire, stretching and yawning. They might have talked, but they didn't, and it was not because there was nothing to say. I wish we had the makings of a drink, Franz said after a while. So do I, said Crispin. I'm dismal and heart-sick myself. Parting, they went to their rooms. Tor, they heard through the closed door, was yawning as if he relaxed for sleep. I'd be crazy right now if I didn't feel almost convinced she went off on her own accord, Sheriff Thatcher declared to Mother Theodore, when, long after midnight, he sat again in her office. I've alerted all the highway patrols, started inquiries in Marysville, but I had to drag the bayou just to satisfy myself. That story she handed Hilaria Toms is what points to her going on her own. That, and Mary Elizabeth's a statement about the coat. She insists that Shirley makes careful of her clothes, that she wouldn't take her good coat unless she intended to leave the building. If that young lady had had her flash of intelligence sooner, we might have done something. But Glory insists Trillium was building up to an escape all day. He glanced at Mother apologetically. Glory did the best she could. She's a smart woman. Very, Mother said dryly. Oh, now, listen, Emmy— Jarvis, what earthly excuse could she have for not sending word to me that she was worried about Trillium? She wasn't solely responsible, and she knew it. She says she did send you a message. I didn't receive it. Well, she says she sent it by your maid, Rindy. Now I wonder, did Rindy forget? Mother Theodore caught her breath. Rindy, polishing the office door, brushing past the visitor's parlor, flicking impudence from her shifty eyes whenever she was corrected for something. Randy had been different lately, independently different. That was the core of it. Rindy had been acting as if she didn't care about her job, as if the slightest hint might make her quit. What is it, Emmy? Randy. Mother laid her hand on the telephone. Would you like me to get her in here for you, Jarvis? When Rindy came in to stand before the sheriff and Mother Theodore, her eyes downcast and her face the color of cold ashes she could tell very little miss glory had asked her to give mother a message but she was busy in the kitchen and she had forgotten what kind of message the sheriff demanded she said to tell mother she wanted to see her but i thought it was just fussin nothing important was it up to you to decide rendy the girl stood there solemn not a very intelligent creature but she worked hard Without any reason in mind, Jarvis asked another question. Rendy, who cleans the guest house? Rendy's eyes met his, wide, terrified, and her arm came up as if to ward off a blow. But when the eyes fell, the defensive gesture ended in fumbling for a sweater button, and the unguarded reaction was under control. Who, Randy?" Jarvis insisted, watching her closely. Her tongue traveled around her lips before she answered, "'Me, sir, Tuesdays and Saturdays. They makes their own beds, and I dust the bathroom every day, but cleanin only twice a week.' "'What made your memory so brief where Mrs. Muckleroy's message was concerned? Was it because she didn't pay you that you forgot?' Jarvis, seeing her mouth go shut stubbornly, knew he should not have lost his temper. But this girl was responsible, in a sense, for Trillium's disappearance or worse. He should talk to her, try to worm out of her more information, if possible. But he couldn't trust himself to do it now. All right, Rindy, you can go, and keep a silent tongue in your head. Understand? Her eyes rolled until the whites showed, and the sheriff groaned inwardly. Rindy was afraid of something, too. Of me, he decided, and waved her away. When the door had closed behind Rindy, Jarvis snapped shut his notebook well, all we're sure of is that Trillium's gone. And one more thing. I'm not kidding myself anymore. I admit this killer has some means of getting around, so that he's practically immune to detection. Otherwise, he wouldn't have dared come in here last night, with kids swarming all over the place. Maybe he's the invisible man. He paused thoughtfully. This sounds pretty far-fetched, Emmy, but could there be a secret tunnel somewhere under the building, some entrance he can use unknown to us." Mother Theodore had thought of the same thing once, and she answered readily, "'None, Jarvis. Last summer, when the tunnels were being repaired, I asked the workmen to look out for old forgotten passages. But there are only the three, from the west end of the convent building to the contemplative's house, then at a right angle over to the chapel, and turning again to come back to the east end of the building.' They make a square laid directly under the cloister walks. Well, it was just an idea. The sheriff got up wearily. If Trillium is alive, as I think she is, and turns up at her uncle's house in New Orleans, she won't find anybody home. Only the servants. But I'm trying to locate the uncle, and I've notified the agent at the railroad station in Marysville to keep her there if she shows up. And by the way, your three geniuses are alibiless for the hour between seven and eight, when our little lady was making her get away. One gent was up in his studio, one alone in the library, one taking a solitary walk, and then they all toddled home and settled down cozy as bugs in a rug, and along comes the bungling old sheriff and finds him there. And meanwhile, of course, Theophilus Burns was getting himself murdered on the road to Bayou Floret. Jarvis walked to the door and opened it, and the harsh overhead light, he looked old. I'm glad we have capital punishment in this state, Emmy, he said softly, and went out and closed the door. Mother Theodore heard him plod away, almost like old sister Teen, as if he could see but dimly where he was going. All the lightness had gone out of his step. End of chapter 16